Uh, it was a rough week. Uh, if you haven't heard, uh, Todd Dolbeer, who has for the last 11 years done our stuff here and podcasts, YouTube, and passed away on Wednesday after dealing with seven months of pancreatic cancer. And uh, we got to celebrate a little bit last night here at Pinheads. It was pretty cool. The place was packed. His <clears throat> employer was here and their staff was here and uh, Abigail's here this morning representing the family. So now it's, uh, it's a little different, but we've, we've got... It was pretty cool. I came in this morning probably three minutes late, and the place was packed with people in here helping us. And uh, I just appreciate your sensitivity to uh, the week and to what's going on with this ministry. And uh, I think I think as I processed it this week, and I probably talked to Todd three or four times every week. Just you know, we would literally have dinner together every Thursday night. Uh, but in the process of doing all this, we we talked all week, you know, follow up from Sundays and then getting ready for Sundays. And uh, but is it a dear dear friend is hanging out? I always hate hanging out with Jesus because I'm hanging out with Jesus. <laughs> He's just doing it face to face, and so it's a it's a new kind of different here today. Uh, but I have confidence in the Lord. Um, and I, l- let's go back for those of you that are guests or first time with us uh, today. We've been working our way through the Gospels, and uh, we're to the point now where Jesus has got to the Garden of Gethsemane with his eleven. Judas has taken off. They're working on this. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Uh, it's it's not their fault. It's the technology. You realize that the evil one is the prince of the airwaves, so he's messing with this right now. Uh, but Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and we left off uh, in Matthew 26. L- let me go back. I said that I was going to touch on something today, and I want to bring that to your attention right away. I'm looking at Matthew 26, and you're going to have to Listen to me because it's not up on the screen right now. Uh, But verse 39, it says, Going a little further, farther, he fell face down and prayed, My father, if it's possible, let this cup, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then bring to your attention in that next verse it says then he came to the disciples and found the sleep found them sleeping and he asked peter one of his solid rock 3 disciples he said so couldn't you stay awake with me one hour just one hour that's all i'm really asking is one hour stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation then in verse 42 He said, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. I also jump over to Mark chapter 14, and this might explain it a little bit more. It says, he went a little farther, fell to the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. 
that the hour might pass from him. And then he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. It says in verse 37, Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Couldn't you stay awake one hour? I'm jumping around and skipping around because I want you to see something. You could easily go, there's a discussion about what the cup is. Father, take this cup from me. You can't say that the cup is the cross. Or his dose of whatever they have previously decided upon. Because all throughout the scripture, we know that Jesus came for that one purpose, to die on the cross. That was the whole deal. They had said from eternity past, this is what's going to happen. We're going to create all these people and we're going to give them a free choice to either love us and to hang out with us or to not. It's their choice. Not creating you as robots, but to give you a free choice. And to show that they need us, show that they need us, the law eventually came along and they caught it caught the laws what caused them to see that they needed a savior that Jesus needed to go to the cross so eternity passed they decided that Jesus was going to come here on earth in earthly form and he was going to die on the cross for all sins for all time he was going to take it he was going to take it so you can't sit there and say uh lord if if it's your will and not mine, now take this cup from me. He's not saying take the cross. Because look, I go to John chapter 10, verse 18. It says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my father. Jesus has the ability to go to the cross or not go to the cross. But he is already predetermined he's going to the cross. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. He can't seek and save the lost unless he goes on the cross. John 10.17 says, This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. He knows that if he dies on the cross is that He's going to be resurrected, be with the Father, and that the Spirit's going to come. He realizes all that. So, what's the cup? Lord, take this cup from me. I keep going back to that Mark reference where it says, it says, He fell to the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass for him, from Him. I said last week this, and you have to hear this very clearly. I'm going to try to say it as clear as I can again this week. Jesus came in an earth suit, human form. This is God coming down as man. He limited himself. We know that he limited himself because it says in the scripture when he was young, really from the time that he was a child, all the way up to his ministry, it says Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. So it wasn't like G Jesus came here as a baby and he knew everything. He was limited. 
And when he took on this body, there's a reason that he came here and took on this body. Because he wanted to be able to say, I can sympathize with everybody sitting in this room. And I know what it's like to deal with emotions in an earth suit. I know what it's like to deal with grief. I know what it's like to lose a friend. I sympathize with you. I came here. I did it. I get it. I understand. But let's take that one step further. If Jesus came here with an earth body, an earth vessel, he came here with a brain, a piece of meat in his head, and he was able to think and process. Obviously on a little bit different level than you and I. Maybe. I think I can. He says I have the mind of Christ. But he's got this brain, and he's got this earth suit, and if I go to Romans chapter 7, and Paul says, I've got this, this sin that's like dwelling in my flesh. He's not talking about the act of doing something wrong. He's talking about a power, an energy that is in him that's just causing these miserable thoughts, evil thoughts to just like go up here in his head. Like, no one's listening to you right now, Rusty. <laughs> Everybody's thinking about what they did last night. Everybody's thinking about what they're getting ready to have for lunch. Now I'm putting these thoughts in your head. We call this a power, the power of sin. We've shortened it ourselves to POS. There's this POS. Let me tell you this. Jesus dealt with the POS, the power of sin. Hear me. Jesus did not sin. He was perfect. He obeyed the law completely. He was without sin, but he dealt with the power of sin in his earthly body. He was able to sympathize with you and me. He had terrible thoughts going through his head. Not his thoughts. He didn't generate them because he's God. But the evil one through the power of sin worked on you. You know that he did. Says that he was in the wilderness for 40 days and the evil one was constantly trying to tempt him to do certain things. You know. And so when he's sitting there saying, take this cup from me, he's getting ready to go to the cross. It's one of the most anxiety-filled times that a person could ever have to take on not only just the cross, but the sin of the world. What? We think the cross is bad, but He's taken on the whole sin of all the world. Tell me there's not stress in that. And so the night before, all he does is he's asked his friends, his best friends, his three, Peter, James, and John, will you just pray one hour? One hour because I'm getting nailed for the next hour. I'm dealing with the power of sin like you wouldn't believe. And I honestly believe when he says... Lord, take this cup from me. He's like done with this earth suit. It's, it's bothering him so bad he's just wanting to be out of that. You know what I'm talking about, right? 
There's times when you just go, this is, oh, this is too much. This is too much. And you have to like find what is it that can cause our mind to shift on the things above. He says, Paul says, think about the things above. Constantly having to think about things above because the power of sin is constantly working on my body. I believe that's the cup. To me, when he's sitting there saying, I, I'm ready, I'm ready to be back side by side with the Father and ready to be done with this, this is miserable. We know it's miserable because we look at Luke 22, verse 44, it says, and we said this last week, being in anguish, he prayed more fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. I actually looked up the term. Hematidrosis. It's a condition in which the capillary blood vessels that feed sweat glands rupture, causing them to exude blood occurring under conditions of extreme physical or emotional stress. It's a real deal. Jesus sweat blood. Tell me, tell me that he wasn't dealing with the power of sin and all the struggles that the evil one was wanting to put on him. Don't go to the cross. Don't go to the cross. There, surely there's other ways that you can save the lost. You don't have to do this. Constantly tempting. Look, Satan, that's the last thing that he wanted Jesus to do was to go to the cross. And he was doing everything he could to keep him from going to the cross. Now, now we switch gears. It's, we look at, he says, when he got up from the prayer and came to the disciples, he found them sleeping exhausted from their grief. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so you won't fall into temptation. Now we switch gears. Done with the whole praying thing, the cup thing, the anxiety thing. It's getting ready to go down right now. We've been talking about this for, this is the 73rd week. And now we're coming to the end. We're coming to the arrest. And what we've done these last 72 weeks is we've done this from a Jewish perspective. All the parables, everything that we've taught, everything that we've talked about here, we've tried to take from a Jewish perspective. One of the things that uh, we've talked about was this book right here. This is the unholy Mishnah. <laughs> you, you see, what happened... What, what happened here was this. Adam and Eve sinned, and they needed to realize that they need a Savior. So God brought along the law. He brought along the Ten Commandments. Right? I know all of you know all the Ten Commandments. <laughs> but what did the Ten Commandments do for us? All it caused you to do was say, don't do this, and it caused you to want to do it. Watch this. I'm going to hold this book up, and I don't want you to look at it. All right? I'm getting ready to hold the book up, and I don't want you to look at the book. Some of you already have your eyes closed. <laughs> but I'm holding this book up, and I don't want you to look at it. This is what the law does. The law causes you to want to do it. Romans 5.20 says that. 
That's what Romans 5, I'm not making this up. Romans 5.20 says this is what the law does. Look at the book, look at the book, look at the book. It causes you to want to look at the book. That's what the Ten Commandments does. What? You mean Jesus gave us the Ten Commandments to cause us to sin more? I said that in church, yes. Because he wanted you to realize that you need a Savior, that you are a sinner, and that he came to die on the cross, and he took care of it all because he obeyed it completely. So what happened was this, was the Jews in the Old Testament, they tried to live by the law, and they didn't do very good at living by the law because the law just caused them to sin more. And when they sinned more and they disobeyed God, it caused God to curse them. And they, they got spread out all over their world. The Babylonians came in. The Egyptians came in. They were all taken into captivity. They died from it. It's like the law that God gave them and they tried to obey wouldn't even protect them. So you know what they did? They came up with more laws. We need more. It sounds like us today. We need more laws today to protect us. Something goes wrong in this city, let's make another law. Right? But if the law is there to cause us to sin, what are we doing? We're just creating more of a mess. That's exactly what the Jews did, the Pharisees did, when they created the, what we call the oral law. It's not God's law, it's the oral law. It eventually became this book right here, the Mishnah. I promise you, you don't want to buy this because it's expensive, but you certainly don't want to be reading it. It's boring. But they memorized this. They memorized this oral law, and the oral law was important to them. This thing was, this thing was the thing that was going to save them. The oral law, the Mishnah. Also the Babylonian Talmud, which is like their history and their theology. They memorized all those things, and it's important for you to know this is what they did. Because it makes what's about to happen where we are in the story a little bit more unreal. Are you kidding me? Like if this is really that important to it and they want to be obedient to it, then you would think that the Jewish leaders would give value to it by obeying it. And then, I'll say this too as we jump into this section, is like, Keith, you're the one that brought it up. But this has been a crazy week. And I've said all along as we've gone through this study that God's timing of the different stories that we've talked about have like related to us in here. You know what I'm talking about? Personally, just the timing of it all. Maybe the news of the world. Well, what a better week than to talk about what I'm getting ready to share with you. What a better week. As we saw a man, you call it being tried, whatever, not tried, I don't know, use the lingo. Our Savior is getting ready to get tried. He's getting ready to get tried by the Sanhedrin, by Pilate, Herod. And we're going through this this week. The Scripture says, 
there's no temptation which has seized you which is uncommon to man. In other words, you've heard people say all week long, man, it's really bad. I've never seen it this bad. <laughs> you should have seen what happened back here in 30 A.D. Let me show you what happened back in 30 A.D. You think it's bad today? It wasn't much different back then. They had laws. Watch. Rule number one, found in the Mishnah on page 387. There were to be no steps of criminal proceedings after sunset. Rule number two, there was to be no arrest by religious authorities that was affected by a bribe, found in Exodus 23.8. Rule number three, judges or Sanhedrin member not allowed to participate in the arrest. These are their rules. Number four, there were to be no trials before the morning sacrifice. Rule number five, there were to be no secret trial, only a public trial. Rule number six, there were to be two to three witnesses and their testimony had to agree in every detail. That came from Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. That was actually God's word. Rule number seven. The procedure was to be first the defense and then the accusation. In the Mishnah on page 386, it says the capital cases must begin with reasons for acquittal and not begin with the reason for conviction. Rule number eight, there was to be no allowance for the accused to testify against himself. Rule number nine, all may argue in favor of acquittal, but all may in argue in favor, but not all may argue in favor of conviction. That's from the Mishnah, page 387. Rule number 10, the accusation of blasphemy was only valid if the name of God itself was pronounced. The Mishnah, page 382. It says in 390, on page 392, it says the blasphemer is not culpable unless he pronounces the name itself. Rule number 11. A person condemned to death was not to be scourged or beaten beforehand. That came out of the Babylonian Talmud. Flogging is considered a substitute for death, so a person who was to die was not to be beaten or scourged beforehand. Rule number 12, the verdict could not be announced at night, only in the daytime. That came out of the Mishnah. Rule number 13, the high priest was forbidden to tear his garments. Are you following this? <laughs> it's like when you want something so bad, you'll do whatever you can to make it happen even if it goes against the rules. Rule number 14. In cases of capital punishment, the trial and guilty verdict could not occur at the same time but had to be separated by at least 24 hours. Rule number 15. Charges could not originate with the judges. They could only investigate charges brought to them. Rule number 16. 
A unanimous decision for guilt shows innocence since it's impossible for 23 to 71, 71 is how many were on the Sanhedrin, is impossible for 23 to 71 men to agree without plotting. (laughs) Rule 17. Judges were to be humane and kind. Let me read that one again. (laughs) Judges were to be humane and kind. Rule 18, a person could not be condemned on the basis of his own words alone. You think that I'm making this up based upon the timing of this week's events. This is where we are in the scripture. Rule 19, Voting for the death penalty had to be done by individual count beginning with the youngest so the young would not be influenced by the elders. It literally says in the mission on page 387, in capital cases they begin from them that sat at the side. In other words, those that were being trained. Verse, or verse. Rule 20. The only place the Sanhedrin trial could take place was in the hall of judgment of the temple compound. Not in somebody's house. Rule 21, the sentence and the guilty verdict could not be announced on the same day. In fact, it had to be separated by three days. And then the last rule, 22, no trials were on the eve of the Sabbath or on the eve of a feast day. That came straight out of the Mishnah. Now watch this. Let's jump back to John chapter 18. We did one verse in there last week. It says, they passed through the Kidron Valley and went to the Garden of Gethsemane in verse 1. It says, and this is where his disciples went with him. Verse 2, watch this. Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. Why did he know the place? Because this is where Jesus always went with his disciples just to hang out with them. He always went to the Garden of Gethsemane and Judas knew exactly, you know, it's that, I know where he's going. It's his go-to place. The Garden of Gethsemane. That's natural. That's where he always took us. It says, because Jesus often met there with his disciples. Verse 3. So Judas took a company, a company, Of soldiers. You know what a Roman cohort is? It's a group of soldiers in number of 400. 400 Roman soldiers make up a cohort. It's like a parade. In the middle of the night. Jesus took a... So Judas took a company of soldiers and some officials from the chief priest and the Pharisees. So not only that, but he's got the Sanhedrin. He's got the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the high priest. He's got the whole group with them. We call them the unredeemed Jewish leaders because they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Watch this. And they came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. You read that, and you fly right by it. You read that from a Jewish perspective, it says they came at nighttime. And they were armed. 
they came with the conviction. Here's the real issue. These Jews, the Jewish leaders, were caught up with an identity crisis. They believed in what they were doing and the positions that they held so much that they didn't want to lose them. Hmm. No temptation has seized you which is uncommon to man. In other words, there's nothing happening today that hasn't already happened. They didn't want to lose their power. They didn't want to lose their position. They didn't want to lose their goods. They were caught up in an identity crisis. The moment that you hold tightly to something that you believe and you never want to let it go, it will cause you to do things that you probably didn't expect yourself to do to protect it. To the point of lying, to the point of breaking rules, to the point of going totally against who your real identity is. In today's world, if I struggled with my identity and I saw myself as the teacher of Levener, and that was my identity, you'd be in trouble. Because I would, it would probably cause me to say things to attract a crowd. And I probably wouldn't be completely honest with you. Because I needed more people to come. So my identity as a teacher would be fulfilled. If that's ever the case, run. My identity is in Christ. I'm going to teach from the Word of God. I pray that I teach from the Word of God. I don't care what you think about me. I'm going to wear shorts, t-shirts, flip-flops. I don't care. I can do that. Because it's not about your opinion of me. It's about His opinion of me. And that's all that matters. So I'm going to speak the truth. And this was the deal that they struggled with right here. Is they had an identity crisis. I could easily, I could easily let my position right here as a teacher, dictate what society thinks of me. If I do, you're in trouble. I'm in trouble. Trouble. So here's what needed to happen. I close with this. These Jewish leaders, they needed Judas. They wanted to maintain their identity. They wanted to corrupt the system. They wanted to manipulate the system. They needed Judas. 
they needed Judas to take them in a private setting at night, which was against the rules, because they knew if they did it in a public setting, there would be enough people among the people, and the Romans would take away their authority that they've been given. They needed Judas. They needed Judas to bring a conviction against Jesus so that they could bring along a Roman cohort. That was the rules. Make a conviction against him and then we can bring the Romans and they can be the ones that arrest him and it's not us that's doing it, it's the Romans that are doing it. They needed him to do that. They needed Judas to be a witness before Pilate so he could say, he's guilty. Too bad for them because because Judas went out and hung himself. They didn't get that. But they were going to do everything that they could to manipulate the situation so it would work for them and their identity crisis. Judas, the unredeemed Jewish leaders, and the Roman cohort came to the Garden of Gethsemane with lanterns and torches and weapons to put this all in place. It's been a crazy week, both personally and nationally. And if we in this room right here don't understand our identity in Christ, we'll play right along with it. My prayer for you today is that one, you know who you are in Christ, and two, you stay focused. And I need you to pray the same thing for me. In the midst of our grief, in the midst of the chaos, that we understand who we are And we stay focused. Lord, I trust you with all my heart that you're going to continue to teach us, that you're going to reveal things to us that we've never seen before. And we're going to trust you for that. I pray for my Dolbeer family, family, that you would just comfort them even this week. You would bring peace to Kim and Abigail and Sophie and his parents, brothers, and that uh, we just trust you, trust you through the whole thing. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.